0: Hear that? Hear that? Listeners? The ice is melting, but it's there. It's iced coffee season. Mm-hmm. Uh, brought to you by Science and Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I think like that's
1: year round for me, but I understand what you mean. <laughs>
0: it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Hello! Welcome back to another episode of Science and Podcast, presented by Science and Pictures Magazine. That was Madison. It was. And that is Jared. Mm-hmm. Same ones as always. And we're here to do the same thing that we always do, which is what, Jared?
1: Because we're insane. Oh, we're going to uh, take some peer-reviewed science, and we're going to talk about it in a way that doesn't make your head hurt.
0: Exactly. We're going to take the headache right out of it, break down the jargon, and also share some fun facts that have nothing to do with the article we presented today, and generally make a lot of jokes and go on a lot of tangents, because we're friends, and that's what we do. Yeah, that happens. And now you're our friend, too. Welcome. hmm Welcome to the circle. Yeah, you're a part of this now. Yeah. So, I bet you're wondering what I've got.
1: Oh, yeah. It is your week.
0: Show and tell time. All right. So, I brought an article that was published in eLife Sciences on September 1st, 2020. That's an open access one. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 I like eLife. eLife is fun. Mm -hmm. Um, So, September 2020. It's a little bit of an oldie, but it's a goodie. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Behavioral Diversity of Bonobo Prey Preference as a Potential Cultural Trait.
1: Bonobo, pr- I
0: forgot they eat meat sometimes. Yeah, they're cool. omnivores, just mm-hmm. like us. Um, if you don't know what a bonobo is, don't worry. We will break it down in the jargon corner. It's not the
1: artist who makes music that no. I don't like very much. It's
0: not Bono. It's also not that shirt company. Uh huh. Bonobos.
1: I thought you mean Billabong.
0: <laughs> it's not Billabong either. <laughs> but enough about what it's not. Let's talk about something completely unrelated. <laughs> Do you have a fun fact for us today, Jared?
1: I do, and it's not fun as usual. Um, did you... Yes,
0: Jared's fun facts are pretty gross, so if you don't like gross, just, like, skip ahead.
1: I think they're interesting.
0: They're good.
1: Uh, did you know, Madison, that uh, insects can get uh, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases?
0: Tiny ew. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, that okay, I'll I... that one.
1: This is a bit of an ew.
0: It is an ew. That's ick. Um, they, can they, wait, can they get the same STDs as do I have to worry about getting an STD from a bug?
1: Do you do you fuck bugs?
0: No, but, like, they're little. What if they're <laughs> not <nothing> in there?
1: <laughs> no, no. You, you do not have to worry about any STD that could come from an insect that spreads another insect.
0: Okay. Well, then tell me about how they're getting nasty and getting the nasty.
1: So, uh, from, <laughs> from here, uh, we're just going to be talking about uh, the lady beetles. Uh, that would be the Coccinellidae. <laughs> That's exactly how you say that. Uh, Coccinellidae. There's about 6,000 species of them around the planet.
0: So lady beetles called Coccinellidae get STDs. Uh-huh. That's comical.
1: Yeah, because they have a... Oh, it has
0: cocks in it. Yeah, it does. Or and so. they do. Oh, no. i probably to have to cut that part out, but... No, I think I are going And part. now you know what we're about here. If you're, a, <laughs> if you're a teenager, just turn it down. Don't tell your parents you listen to this podcast. If you're a parent... I'm sorry. We're so sorry, uh, because I'm going to keep going. Yep.
1: Yeah. So they order a, a fungus, Labul is specific to lady beetles. Um, you might also know them, depending on where you're in the world, as lady bird, lady bug, they're all the same type of animal. Um, the little
0: red ones with... Black spots.
1: Not always even red. Some of them are black. Some of them are patternless. Um, really, really cool animals.
0: Galapagos has their own subspecies. Really? Yeah. Love Drink. <laughs> <laughs> They do. It's a spotless ladybug. But then they introduced, they imported an Australian ladybug to eat uh, scale bugs, which were a problem. And it worked.
1: Cool. I'd be surprised if the Asian lady beetle wasn't there either. Um, I mean, too. It's not. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, because the Asian lady beetle has been imported almost over the entire world, uh, including the United States. It's all over North America.
0: That's the one we see the most, right?
1: Yes. And anytime you see an Asian lady beetle, uh, hopefully you know what one looks like. But take a look at it. And it it might have these little yellow things on it. I'm going to show Madison what they look like.
0: Oh, okay. It kind of looks like a ladybug is just growing some McDonald's french fries. (laughs) Out of its spots. Yeah. It's sprouting them.
1: I've heard some people say that it, that it looks a little bit like pollen. Um, so I just specifically showed Madison an Asian lady beetle who carry the. Labu- oh, it's such a long name. The La- fungus. The fungus. fungus. Uh, yeah. it, theirs specifically is called uh, the species Hesperomyces vorescens.
0: Hesperomyces vorescens.
1: Mm-hmm. Myces being, you know, uh, root for fungus. Hesper is a bird, I think, which is. Ladybird!
0: Oh, there you go. Oh, crap! Cool. Yeah, we figured it
1: out. Uh-huh. Um, I was actually told by a researcher whose paper I might be covering in the future. We'll see. But it does actually, for ladybirds overwintering in, in the U.S., uh, tend to shorten their lifespan if they're infected with it um, over the winter. Aww. So they... Well, they're invasive. It is important to know, like, how ridiculously common things that do that are. Like, not just yeah. in bugs, but, like, everything has at least... It's thought nowadays that there's at least one species of parasite for any single organism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that... In the most broad sense on the planet. Viruses can have viruses for fuck's sake.
0: It's crazy. Like, life is beautiful, but also very brutal. (laughs) And that's
1: kind of stuff that I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. What that says about me, who knows. But anyway, Madison, what's your fun fact?
0: (laughs) My fun fact is about whales. It's actually not something new that I learned, but it's something that I... You do know
1: that I slightly fear them.
0: I do. This is not a scary whale fact. Okay, good. As you know, I... Moonlight as a bartender. And there's this one beer we've been giving out that has whale in the name. So I ask people if they want a whale fact with their beer. It works pretty well for me. I like that. So there's this one fact that I can't stop sharing with people, even though they don't want to hear it. (laughs) Like around 9.30 p.m., I always start to share this one. (laughs) It's like, it's time. So did you know it's just humans and four species of toothed whale that go through menopause?
1: Madison, this was the first article you did on the podcast.
0: Oh, and, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> my grandma's. Yeah, that's how obsessed with that I am. Well, I mean. You know, we've been doing this podcast for over a year now.
1: No, I'm just... I, I didn't say it to make fun of you. I'm, yeah. I'm just like, we've we have come full circle.
0: Wow. I think this is a milestone moment for science and podcast. We've repeated a fun fact. <laughs> wow. If you want to hear more about whale uh, menopause, the episode is called... Killer Grandmas and then whatever one I did. Yeah. Killer Grandmas and something. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's really cool. And I always like to, to, to bring the patrons in close and say, you know... All four of those whale species live in matriarchal matrilineal (laughs) societies. Just saying. (laughs) And um, uh, sometimes it's a hit, and sometimes I get hit. I hope they tip at least. They did tip last night, so that was good. Very good. So that's my fun fact. Love it. Even though it's an old one. Again, an oldie but a goodie. Oldie but a goodie. All right. So if you enjoyed those fun facts, and you want to learn more about that stuff, too bad. The fun fact corner has nothing to do with the article. Before we jump into the jargon corner, I do want to tell you, like, who published the article. Love and it. And all that. All right, so, the authors are Liran Samuni, Francisco Wegdell, and Martin Serbeck. They are from the Harvard University Department of Evolutionary Biology, also the Max Planck Institute of Evolutionary Anthropology, Ooh. and... The Bonobo Conservation Initiative. Let me tell you a little bit more about these authors, because they're mad cool. Okay. Okay. Dr. Martin Surbeck, Very cool man. He's a member of the faculty of the Department of Human and Evolutionary Biology at Harvard since 2019, and he also runs one of the few Bonobo research sites in the world. In the world? In the world. Uh, Before moving to Harvard, he worked as a research group leader at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Leipzig. And he established the Kokolopori Bonobo Research Project in collaboration with the Bonobo Conservation Initiative and V Sauvage. A plus talk... on
1: all of these, like, multi-syllable words, by the way.
0: Thank you! I did my homework. I can say big words. So we're going to talk a lot more about all of those projects, but basically, he's a, such a badass. Like, I'm a little obsessed with him. All three of these authors. My
1: eyes just widened a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He is so cool. He did things right. Okay, moving forward. Franziska Vegdel. Or Wegdell. I'm not sure if she's German. Anyway, she's pursuing a PhD in evolutionary biology at the University of Zurich, and the aim of her PhD—get this—is to understand the influence of the surrounding vocal environment on the ontogeny of bonobo communication.
1: So the how the bonobos talk as they grow up and the, how that impacts their life.
0: Bonobo baby talk. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Isn't that cool? Do you know birds baby talk? Yeah. And Double.
0: bats. Mm-hmm. And otters, I think. And who? I think ogres. Oh, I thought you said daughters. And I was oh. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. I would,
1: would be the category of people, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, So do orcas. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Everyone babbles. But, 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 I wonder if anyone's ever done a study of, like, different baby animals and if they can, like, find a way to communicate. Oh, I would
1: imagine it would have some correlation with the level of parental care in that species. Right. Like, for, like, altricial birds, the ones that just, like, wake mm-hmm. up able to walk, I doubt there's a lot of it.
0: But, like, I wonder, like... If they took, like, an orca baby and then, like, played it sounds of... Like, oh, you're a- talking about, like,
1: interspecies? Yeah. Interesting. I just
0: want to know what would happen if they're babble If, you know... I if- wonder. I just want to know what would happen. I don't have a hypothesis either. Let's even,
1: not have, like, a duck imprint on an orca, but...
0: <laughs> no, that'd be scary.
1: That would be very scary. For everyone involved. Can you imagine a okay. like, duck making orca noises?
0: Ooh. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Or an orca making duck noises. Just...
1: 17 octaves lower.
0: <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Liran Samouni is a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard University, Harvard, which is right next door. And I c- contemplated reaching out to these guys, but I got too scared. That's all right. So maybe they'll listen to this. Hi. All right. <laughs> she received her master's in zoology from Tel Aviv University in 2013 and her PhD in biology from the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology. Who would have thought that? Um, yeah. Her main research focus is underlying mechanisms of cooperation and intergroup relations in chimpanzees. Ooh, yeah. Like chimpanzee alliances and stuff. So we've got a really good team yeah, working I mean. together on this. Um, and this paper is all about exploring the idea of culture in bonobos, which you might think that it's already established that. Oh my God.
1: Can I say something real quick? I was taking a sociology class one time way back in college, and it brought up the issue of culture as if it was exclusive to people. And when I brought up the fact that that is not at all true, I was literally laughed at by the whole classroom. And so the next time I went to class, I literally pulled up a name of, like, 17 different ones. And that was just the ones I found in, like, 20 seconds.
0: Exactly. Um, That's what this paper and today is all about. So I'm really glad you said that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was about to say, surprisingly, there is not yet... A scientific consensus as to whether bonobos have culture.
1: There's no way that they don't. I know.
0: <laughs> they literally make music. What? <laughs> but be- the reason there's no consensus is because people are so resistant to the idea of non-human animals having human things. Like we're things so fucking sport.
1: obsessed with thinking our experience is like so special. We're yeah, not special. we're
0: so special, and like we have enough that makes we're special, us special. Why do
1: I find us boring?
0: Like we make lamps. That's- <laughs> That's special enough. No one else does that. Just be happy. Like. <laughs> what was that the thing you thought of? Because there's a lamp in front of me. But like, animals don't make any of this stuff. The microphone. Yeah. You know, a table. They might make a table. I would believe an animal could make a table. But. An animal could make a table. These other things. Like, bed spreads. I. <laughs> <laughs> Humans already have enough stuff that we do that no one else does. You don't have to, like, be all. Whatever. Gatekeepy. Yeah. Gatekeep. girl boss. Anyway. Also,
1: to everyone in that class, uh, fuck you.
0: All right, to the jargon (laughs) corner. The jargon corner is where we do what?
1: We talk about jargon. What is jargon? Jargon is the part of science that no one likes. It's it's, it's the words that very often, you know, they are essential to science. Like we need things that are specifically talked about uh, other things because then that's the thing that we know and talk about, talk about easier.
0: Yeah, so jargon is important because it lets you get really specific with other people who know a lot about the thing that you're talking about. However,
1: it can get a bit much. Uh, it's
0: alienating. It, mm-hmm.
1: to, in fact, a lot of jargon is specifically designed to gatekeep that uh, area of science from mm-hmm. people who
0: just want to, you know, get, get, get some knowledge. Yep. Jargon is the champion of Gaslight, Gatekeep, girl box, so. <laughs> girl box. We break it down, we take it away. I always say Girl Box instead of Girl Box, <laughs> but it's better. It's better. It's better. Um, all right. So, first up in the Jargon Corner, Jared, what is.
1: The family Hominidae. The family Hominidae is, um, that's specifically the great apes, right?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: The great apes are the humans, the, the bonobos, the uh, 12, I think, and counting species of human-like uh, great apes that we know about now. Um, yeah, it's a primate that's big and doesn't have a tail.
0: Yeah, no tail. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you're exactly right. They're also called the great apes. Or hominids. Mm-hmm. But hominid is also being used in a bunch of different ways now. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, it is a family in the order of primates. Ooh, ah, ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that includes all human species. Currently, just one extant human species. Gorilla species. Extant meaning... You're still here. Yes. Yeah. Um, unless those really tall forest people exist. Could be. Yeah.
1: Or Gigantopithecus.
0: I think that's who I'm talking about. Is it? That's
1: yeah. the... Um, big one that might have looked like a big orangutan. Bigfoot.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh. And people think that maybe Bigfoot is just them. Gigantopithics? Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm like, <laughs> not that I'm a Bigfoot truther, but I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> like, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh Okay. Moving on. And chimps are also included. Chimps and bonobos. Uh, the hominids are our closest relatives in the Sorry, animal kingdom. Sorry, are humans. gibbons in a different family? Gibbons are. Yeah. What they used family? to be. They're the lesser apes. They're in their own family. Do you know the name of it? No. I'll look it up later. Yeah. Thank you, right. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah, gibbons are almost included, but not quite. Anyone relate? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So they are our closest relatives in the animal kingdom, and we share more than 90% of our DNA with all of them.
1: 96 with James and us.
0: Yeah, I was getting to <laughs> that. Oh, <sorry. laughs> Actually, more than 96. Okay. Yeah. Right, 99.6. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. So we diverged 12 million years ago from orangutans. Tangs, tans.
1: So I like the way David Attenborough says it, which is orangutan. He actually says it in two separate words, which sometimes when you look at it, there is a dash. So like orangs.
0: All right. We diverged 12 million years ago from orangutans, eight from gorillas, eight million that is, four million Mm -hmm. from chimps, as far as we can tell from genetic studies and fossil records. And that is the blink of an eye in evolutionary terms. That's a blip. Because primates have been around for about 65 million years. Don't and usually think about that. I know, right? And don't forget, life on Earth is over 4 billion years old. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what do we have in common that we can observe? We don't have tails. Yeah, we have a coccyx. Which is the, the tail tailbone. Bone. <laughs> <laughs> Not the other thing. Um, but they have that too. uh we, internal though, or is that just gorillas? That's just gorillas. Right. Yeah. We are omnivorous, which means... Eat meat
1: and also veggie. Eat anything. Yeah.
0: Uh, we use tools to do stuff more better. <laughs> um, and none of us have a distinct breeding season. It's open season for fitty times.
1: Sorry, I just realized I had no idea that when I was end of a mini season. They just Yeah. They just bang.
0: Whenever. Hmm. Whenever. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, and also all have between eight and ten months gestational period.
1: Interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh. Um
0: also Generally, we give birth to one offspring at a time, but, you know, there's twins and triplets, yeah. which octom- are rare. Or the octomom.
1: Yeah. Did she actually have eight babies at once?
0: The octomom? Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't either. <laughs> Moving on. All of our offspring are born helpless and require care for long periods of time, not becoming fully mature for 8 to 13 years in most species, even longer in orangutans and humans. Hello. <laughs> um,
1: if our- we were birds, we would be precocial birds. Those are the ones that don't get feathers until a little bit later,
0: and they're just completely helpless. Well, now we know. Mm -hmm. Partially due to our helpless young, we have the capacity for altruism and empathy. This is true across hominids. Um, Caring for conspecifics and other species in some cases. Yeah. Also, all great apes are highly social, highly intelligent, and highly emotional. Yeah. We throw tantrums, in other words. We have those. Big feelings. Mm Um, I have big feelings. Yeah, if you've met a toddler, that's what most apes are like.
1: (laughs) I would say that most chimps are like Dennis Reynolds.
0: (laughs) Dennis Reynolds, you're right. Like the hammer of Thor! (laughs) Yeah, chimps are like Dennis Reynolds, and if so, bonobos are like no one in that show. No,
1: no, they're they're pure.
0: They're so pure. Okay, next in the Dragon Corner.
1: Weird constant orgies.
0: They do. They yeah. just fuck
1: to solve their problems.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I, I say that literally, by the way. Madison, yeah. might talk oh, about. Oh, I'll, I'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, I just looked into the camera. All right. There's no camera. It's a podcast. You did look at the microphone, huh? I did. Yeah. Hi. Hi, guys. Can you tell when I'm looking at you? You look great. <laughs> All right. Next in the jargon corner, the genus Pan.
1: Ah, the genus Pan is the one that you said that we should be part of, according to a lot of primatologists. Yeah. Um, but for now, it has Pan troglodytes, which is the chimpanzee, and Pan other one, which is the bonobo.
0: Pan paniscus. Pan paniscus. Yes, the genus Pan uh, are also called chimps, uh, Panins or Paninis. <laughs> 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 We're all Paninis here. Oh wait, are
1: they part of? The, is there like a subfamily Paninae?
0: No, it's a genus.
1: Okay, I was wondering if it was like a subfamily too.
0: Maybe. That, right. I cannot answer. I don't know. I don't yes. know. Yes. All right. Using genome sequencing, humans, we found out that humans diverged from the other two pannins around 4 million years ago, which is super recent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other two diverged around 1 million years ago from each other. Also makes sense. Yes. So today, genetic analysis shows that humans and panins to be 99.6% identical in the functionally important DNA- Uh, which codes for proteins and is shaped by natural selection. This makes us more closely related to other chimps than to Darwin's finches are to each other. Also. Holy shit. mm -hmm, Also more closely related to chimps than wolves are to huskies.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Wow. So these are truly our cousins. Yeah. Mm hmm.
1: Which is even more amazing, because dogs might have diverged from wolves as early as one million years ago. Yep. Like, ugh. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Yeah! Oh, and by the way, if you wanted to know, wolves and huskies share 98.8% of their DNA. Yeah. Gotcha, so gotcha. this is almost a full 1% more closely related. <laughs> the next thing in the jargon corner is a question for you. Mm. What's the difference between bonobos and chimpanzees?
1: One... I was going to make a joke that I don't think makes sense when I say it out loud, but one fucks to solve their problems, and the other one solves their problems by fighting.
0: Yeah. That was, was
1: cleverer in my head.
0: One's a fighter, one's a lover. Yeah. You might say. One Madison You said. might use another word for lover. <laughs> <laughs> um, so visually, they look very similar. Mm-hmm. Chimpanzees are a little bit larger. Bonobos are more gracile hmm. A new word that I learned. Environmentally they live very close to each other, but their territories do not overlap. Um, so they never
1: like interact?
0: No. So they're separated by a river, the Congo River. Yeah. So that's like the Until main they thing. Boats and cross it. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Because did you know that sailing was invented fifty thousand years ago? Fifty thousand? Yeah, people always think it was the Vikings or the Europeans, but it was actually the people of Oceania. How do we know that? Uh, I don't know. I just learned it recently. That's awesome. And then I posted it on Yik-Yak and I got cyberbullied for it.
1: You posted recently on Yik-Yak?
0: Yik-Yak's back. It is? Yeah. Oh
1: my god. Oh no. Okay, you shouldn't have told me that. So
0: I posted about that because I thought it was super interesting and then everyone told me I was a freak and I should go home. (laughs) (laughs) Their territories do not overlap. The chimps are north of the Congo River and the bonobos are only south of the Congo River. Um, Is this like a...
1: L-shaped river? I don't know. Okay, because it kind of sounds like that from what you're describing. North and South. Yeah.
0: That's all I got for you. I'm map intolerant. Right! I keep forgetting that. Um, Behaviorally, (laughs) chimps are known to be more aggressive. They live in patriarchal, which is male-dominated groups. Bonobos are known to be more peaceful. They live in matriarchal, female-dominated or female-led groups. And they are highly cooperative with each other. Chimpanzees are known to be aggressive with other chimpanzees with within their group and without. Bonobo groups are non-territorial and often get together with other groups to mate, which is really cool because it means that they get genetic diversity. Interesting. Yeah. Um, neither species displays sexual jealousy or mate guarding, which is super interesting. Um, multi-male, multi-female mating patterns are well documented in both. However, chimpanzees are known to practice infanticide in order to mate with an ovulating female and other things that we might find a bit repulsive.
1: It's the first time this episode I thought of something and didn't say it because I figured you were going to say it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, A lot that comes to mind for a lot of people when they think of chimpanzees. They're kind of brutal. Mm -hmm. And that has never been documented in bonobos. In fact... A bonobo killing another bonobo has only been documented once in the 472 years of study hours researchers have spent observing them.
1: Was it known what happened in that instance?
0: Yeah. So that incident is theorized to be the result of human interference. Oh. Yeah. I don't know exactly what happens, but I know that from what I was reading... Someone was throwing money at them? Basically. Yeah. Yeah, food. But yeah, <laughs> the human started it, of course. Chimpanzees and bonobos are both some of the most social great apes with social bonds occurring throughout those large communities so that sorry. they live I in. say that again? I, I, I yeah, I things. messed it up anyway. Um, both chimpanzees <laughs> and bonobos are some of the most social great apes with social bonds occurring throughout large communities. Right, right? because orangutans are not social. Not as social, no. Yeah, yeah they're more loners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're really social with their offspring because it takes like 20-something years. Right, right. Yeah. So maybe that's why. We're just too busy. Could be. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, they're both omnivores. They they primarily forage for fruit, but they also hunt a wide variety of prey items. They are equally humanity's closest living relatives. They are also equally threatened by human activities, which have caused severe declines in the populations and ranges of both species. Thumbs down. Yeah, threats to wild panina populations include poaching, habitat destruction, and illegal pet trade. Next in the jargon culture. Oops, that's what we're trying to stop. Next in the <laughs> jargon corner culture. Oh, that's, that's why you missed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, culture is the. Uh, how do I say this out loud? It's basically the transmission of like ideas and practices, uh, uh, bi- uh horizontally and vertically across generations.
0: Yes. And the key thing is that it's uh, transmitted and acquired through social learning. Yes. That's what makes it culture. So the specific definition that they used in this article is group-specific behavioral patterns acquired through social learning.
1: Hmm.
0: There you go. That's culture. Of course, we have a much more broad idea of culture as humans, includes food and all of that stuff, but we'll get to that later. All right, Jared, what is a behavioral phenotype?
1: Behavioral phenotype, um, that would be sort of the tendency of a specific individual with that phenotype to do certain things and not do other certain things.
0: Exactly. So phenotype, as we've talked about before, is the observable physical properties of an organism. So what they look like, uh, their development, and their behavior. Which
1: is linked intrinsically to their
0: genotype. Exactly. So the behavioral phenotype is the behavioral part of the phenotype. What they be doing. Behavioral phenotype is what we can expect an organism to do based on what it is. Mm -hmm.
1: So. We're so eloquent today.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Always. Hope you're keeping up. Bam. Hi. All right, Jared. Is an organism's behavioral phenotype the result of genetic, social, or environmental factors?
1: This is the nature versus nurture debate. It's almost always a combination of both.
0: Exactly. All three. Because we also have the environment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So nature, nurture, and the terrain, basically, Um, and funguses and stuff. (laughs) All right. Very good. A little of all three, always. Now, moving on to culture. Is culture the result of genetic, social, or environmental factors?
1: Ooh, that's a trickier one. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it would specifically be the result of the behavioral phenotype, which is linked to genetics. So I would say genetics and... No, because environment comes into play. All three.
0: It is still all three, but it is primarily social. Right. That's the defining characteristic. It can be transferred regardless of the genetics or the environment. Because an organism or a human, let's talk about humans, um, a human who is not at all genetically related to a population can assimilate into their culture. Also, a culture, when transplanted, can continue in a different environment. Right. So that's why it's social.
1: Okay, gotcha.
0: Yeah. So what's the difference between a culture and a behavioral phenotype? Can a non-human organism have culture, or is that specific to humans? No. It is not
1: specific to humans. It is not even close specific to humans.
0: Exactly. So at the most basic, there's ample evidence that some foraging techniques are socially learned in primates, cetaceans, which are whales, and carnivores, like... Wolves.
1: There's a really classic example of, I think it's jays um, in the United Kingdom, uh, where they basically all learned from a few individuals to open milk cartons. Mm-hmm. And so people would just come to find their milk just
0: gone. Another great example of this is the bears in Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, They teach yeah. each other how to open the ever more complicated trash mm-hmm. bins. Yeah. Um, so from what I understand, if a behavior is learned socially and changes from group to group of the same species, that counts as culture. And we see that in lots of species. Oh, one more,
1: one more, one more. Okay. There's a macaque in, I want to say Japan, mm-hmm. maybe. Anyway, um, there's a macaque that uh, is on an island, and this researcher actually witnessed them pick up a potato and start washing and eating it, and they tracked that that monkey, spread the behavior to other monkeys, and they watched this potato-washing behavior travel across the entire island. They, <laughs> they witnessed it. They witnessed cultural transmission.
0: That's so Cool. Aw, Just washing potatoes on an island. I want to be a macaque. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Back to... So, from what I understand...
1: <laughs> I keep going so off topic. I'm so sorry. <laughs>
0: That's what we do here. Yeah. Y'all love it. Um, From what I understand, if a behavior is learned socially and changes from group to group of the same species, it counts as culture. If it is something seen in the majority of species members, regardless of group status... That's what would make it a behavioral phenotype. Yeah,
1: that that would imply the genetic basis overall.
0: Exactly. If we don't see a difference from group to group in this behavior, then it's probably something that's genetic and mm-hmm. instinctual. So, question. And this is, like, unrelated to the study, but it's just something I was thinking about. If a behavior varies from group to group, but the groups live in really different places, really different environments, would that be... Culture or phylogenetic adaptation to those environments? It could be both. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to tell, right?
1: Just different cultures adapting to a different scenario.
0: It'd be hard to prove, um, yeah. unless you could literally transplant a whole group to a new territory, yeah. where other members of the species are not present to teach the right. new thing. So that'd be hard. Uh, Some science we... is just
1: really hard to do, yeah. not in theory.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel like that would be the way to to definitively prove that animals can have culture. hmm but we can't be just transplanting whole groups of animals to new places. So yeah. anyway, let's get into um, what we did do to find out if bonobos have culture. <laughs> and by we, I mean humans. I was not there. I am not a scientist. <laughs> I love you, Martin Zerbeck. Okay. Let's set the scene. You ready? hmm Okay. We are in the Kokolopori Bonobo Reserve, just south of the Congo River in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in equatorial Africa. We are in one of the last pristine patches of the second largest tropical rainforest in the world. The air is thick and heavy with moisture and mosquitoes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> We're also surrounded by massive tree trunks and broad leaves form a dense canopy overhead with constellations of tropical flowers and fruits. To our north there is a swamp jungle, to our south there is a vast savanna and as far as we can see, there's dense rainforest wilderness, little explored by humans. In fact, less explored than the Amazon.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow.
0: The human structures that are here are made of the same materials as the natural world that surrounds them. There are very few walls, there are thatched roofs, and slow hot breezes drift through every structure. So who is here?
1: Uh, partly native peoples, partly researchers.
0: That's right. Yes, and also four distinct groups of bonobos. Hmm. Yes.
1: So why are they not subspecies? Um,
0: they're they're the same species. They interbreed. They're groups because of their different behaviors. Oh,
1: yeah. Do the chimpanzee subspecies not not interbreed? I don't know. This
0: isn't about the chimpanzees.
1: I, I I'm gonna stop asking chimpanzee. Questions. Yeah, I don't
0: know about them. Ask Jane Goodall. <laughs> <laughs> so. In addition to the four distinct groups of bonobos, there are researchers. There are also occasionally ecotourists that pass through. Um, But most importantly, as you already alluded to, there are the indigenous Mungandu people, and they have been there for thousands of years. Currently, their chief role is protecting bonobos and the surrounding environment and ensuring that ancestral traditions are respected uh, because the bonobo groups in question are actually habituated to the presence of the Bangandu people and their practices. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. So, like in so many other places, the indigenous people here actually hold the ecosystem in balance by continuing to live as their ancestors have done for tens of thousands of years. Awesome. Very cool. Great example of how people are not always the worst. <laughs> Uh, And thankfully, actually, the threats to this specific habitat in this eco-region are quite low, which means the conservation potential is very high. However, the threats to people are also high. Poverty is high, and the people here have been exploited for many hundreds of years by colonizers and imperial forces, as you would know if you've ever read Art of Darkness. I
1: haven't, but I know what you're talking about.
0: Anyway... So many scientists are thankfully waking up to the reality that indigenous wisdom is probably the best chance we have for survival in these times of changing climate, uh, but not enough scientists and definitely not enough lawmakers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one person though who seems to be doing things right is Martin Serbeck, who's partnered with the conservation, the Bonobo Conservation Initiative, and a local NGO, the Savage. And has put the reins in the hands of the local indigenous people and it is listening to them instead of coming in and trying to tell them what to do. Good. Which has been a huge problem with conservation efforts everywhere, but Africa and the Congo specifically. Yeah,
1: you're basically a missionary if you're doing shit like that.
0: Yeah, there's people who have come in and they... Uh, one of the most problematic tropes for c- conservation biologists in Africa is arguing that the indigenous people should leave so that the forest will be pristine again. What?! And I'm like, they've been here they for thousands it. of years. They are literally part of it. You take them out of it, you're going to mess things up. But that's, I'll just step off my soapbox now. So the model where the indigenous people are, the managers at Kokolapuri, is so successful, it's actually inspired nearby communities on their own initiative to create their own reserves based on the same model. Wow. Um, there are three now, which I will pronounce them for you, but I couldn't find pronunciation guides online, so just bear with me. They're called Likongo, Ligomo, and Nikokolombo. So why is that important? Because the uh, Mangandu people are not the only indigenous people in the Congo, which is huge. There's about 150 different ethnic groups living there, all with different behaviors, different cultures, and how they relate to the forest. That's a
1: big place. I keep forgetting that.
0: Huge huge almost as big as the amazon wow yeah um also um if you've ever heard of the pygmy people um it's not actually one group it's several groups Mm -hmm. but they are one of the best representatives right now of the ancient hunter-gatherer lifestyle that i love to talk about so much cool yeah the coolest people ever basically and they possess an incredible wealth of knowledge of the forest it's animals it's medicinal plants The people are mostly settled in areas where the forest meets the savanna and the rivers, not deeply in the forest, which is where the bonobos live, but they cross territories. And what's also interesting is the areas where people live in the Congo now, where the savanna meets the forest by the rivers, those are the same conditions that our earliest ancestors were experiencing when they first climbed down from trees and began to walk on two legs into the savanna.
1: Mm.
0: So if Mesopotamia is the cradle of civilization... I would argue the Congo River Basin is the cradle of humanity. (laughs) That's cool. Right? Yeah. So what better place to study the origins of culture? Right. Which is what these researchers were trying to do by looking at bonobos. Yes, exactly. Um, Yeah. The origins of our culture. Mm -hmm. So, Jared, in a nutshell, describe human culture. What is it?
1: we do thing we hit tool with rock yeah. no we no we don't do that <laughs> we do the opposite of that we hit rock with tool um we write writing's a big part I think writing is like maybe the one thing that's like specifically human I would argue that like recording is an extension of writing yeah um should I keep going
0: <laughs> so by Jared's rambling um he's proven my point that there's no way to sum it up. <laughs>
1: You tricked me. <laughs>
0: I did. You did a really good job, though. Thank you. I liked it. Um, but human societies are so diverse. Um, there's a huge range of stuff that we do. It's really hard to pinpoint what defines human culture. Writing is one of the things that. people So maybe we should to. take a
1: fucking chill pill about defining culture for other animals, right? Like, yeah.
0: or just defining in general. Anyway, huge range of beliefs, languages, foods, all of that. Uh, it's not something that can be studied as a monolith, but many people try. Mm-hmm. So how does one go about exploring the origins of human culture when we can't even define it?
1: Good question. (laughs) Study our relatives.
0: How about by studying our closest relatives? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Who are still living in the place where human culture probably began, Mm -hmm. actually. Very cool. So lots of researchers have had this idea, starting with Jane Goodall and her chimpanzees. Very famous. Perhaps because of Jane Goodall's fame, chimps are often studied for this purpose. However... The bonobos haven't received nearly as much scientific attention, which I think is a mistake. However, scientists also haven't known about bonobos for that long. They thought that they were just a subspecies of chimps, uh, smaller, they called them pygmy chimps until like the 1940s. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So um, the
1: 1940s is when we found out about all the happy fucking.
0: Yeah. Cool. Started to, but yeah. also it was the 1940s, so they were like, oh. oh, no.
1: Oh, also the indigenous peoples probably knew for forever.
0: For sure. But, yeah. And then we didn't listen to them, yeah. most likely. However, as we discussed earlier... Bendis... That
1: happened with the platypus, by the way.
0: Oh, did it? Yeah.
1: The indigenous oh. peoples were like... It's, it's venomous. It's them. No, oh. this was specifically about the eggs.
0: Oh. They
1: were like, it's them. They they laid the egg. They laid it. They laid the egg. And then the people were like, no, no, the fucking... I'm, I'm a big scientist, and they don't do that.
0: Mammals can't lay eggs. Yeah, well, monotremes. Yep. Okay. Um, however. <laughs> so, as we discussed earlier, bonobos are less aggressive and much more cooperative with others than chimpanzees. And there's also a compelling case that bonobos are much more similar to humans than chimpanzees with regard to their behavior, not their genetics. Okay. All right, so some things that you might not expect from a chimpanzee that bonobos do. Kiss each other deeply on the mouth. <laughs> This has been observed. Yeah, this smells like a shit post. I know, but it's... <laughs> bonobos make out. <laughs> yeah, it's like unsettling, but also kind of cute. Jared's losing it, guys. He can't what? It. Anyone else losing it? Yeah, they do. They make out. Oh no! <laughs> just sitting in trees, just kissing. Um, they also Ooh. they mate face to face. Yeah, which even chimpanzees don't do.
1: Oh my fucking science! Oh no!
0: Crazy, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Why is
1: that so funny?
0: Everybody in the club go and ape. Sh- also, they share everything with the groups they live in, which is really similar to human hunter-gatherer societies. Mm-hmm. They agrarian. Share- yeah.
1: Is that the right
0: pre-agrarian? Word?
1: What does agrarian mean?
0: Um, agricultural. Oh, so not that. Yeah, (laughs) Mm pre-agrarian. They share food, shelter, and mates, which is something we see in most human hunter-gatherer societies. Not so much over here in the West, but it is something that's human.
1: So hunter-gatherers are poly... Polyamory.
0: Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't... So a lot of researchers have gone in and called, like, having, you know, a strong bond with one person over another marriage... Hmm. They have nothing like marriage. Yeah, that's not... a Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's wise. <laughs> that I'm is wise. i not a fan of marriage. Hey, come find me. If you don't want to get married.
1: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I do find it kind of telling that divorce rates got so high when women could do them.
0: Yes. Um, but When it became legal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, bonobos even share feeding grounds and hunting grounds and food with nearby groups. So not just within their groups, with other groups.
1: It's just hard to imagine them hunting. They're just so happy. They're happy guys.
0: They are, but like us happy guys, they also can kill viciously. Uh, all right. Whether you think that this sweetness that the bonobos have makes them more human or less human, probably depends on your Mm -hmm. feelings about humans, (laughs) but these traits do make bonobos an ideal animal for investigating the question that these researchers are most interested in, which is... In their words, whether differences in group behavior, such as feeding habits, are distinct cultural trends or just the results of the surrounding environment. Hmm. Because there's been a lot of criticism of people saying, these animals have culture. And a lot of other researchers say, yeah, but you haven't ruled out the determination of the environment. What if it's a phenotypical response? Oh, for fuck's sake. In other words, what if the ancestors of these animals used to live in a similar environment and now because they're in this environment, they're starting to do the behaviors that come out. With those stimuli.
1: Where were you guys with your logic when everything was a fish?
0: Right? Where were you then? Right? Yeah. Come on. All right. So if we want to know about culture, why would we start with the feeding habits?
1: Uh, Feeding is one of the most important things to any organism. So it's one of the most likely things where uh, some sort of cultural effect is to develop around.
0: Also, if you ask people about their culture, what's the first thing they describe? Probably food. Yep. It's the food, Mm -hmm. always. Um, So food's really important to human culture, so it's a great place to start. With this in mind, our researchers set out to observe the hunting and feeding patterns of two distinct groups of wild bonobos in the Kokolopori Bonobo Reserve in the Democratic Republic of Congo. They nicknamed these groups Ikalakala and Kokoalongo. Fun names. (laughs) Now get this. These two groups share approximately 65% of their home territory— roughly 22 square miles of forest, and they aren't territorial.
1: Hmm.
0: That makes these groups perfect to study how the differences arise between groups because the influence of the environment on their behavioral phenotypes... Is essentially the same. Exactly. Additionally, there is significant genetic flow between those two groups. They fuck a lot. They smash. Yeah. (laughs) They be smashing. Um, So, these two distinct groups are inhabiting the same environment they share a significant amount of DNA. Uh, the next question would be, are there any differences in the way these two groups hunt?
1: I'm going to guess yes.
0: Very good. The researchers found that the Longo bonobos specialize in hunting diker, which is a type of antelope. Look at them. Oh, Aren't they cute? Yeah. yeah. Are they related to the dick, dick? They look exactly like a dick, dick They do. Yeah. Not to be confused with the dick pic. <laughs> No, they're really cute. It's like a little it's like a little kind of chubby deer. With yeah. like tiny little antlers and eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. They're cute. And they live on the forest floor. And then Where else would they live? Li- oh. As opposed to <laughs> a- No. <clears throat> but the Ikala Kala bonobos specialize in hunting and no malure, also known as scaly tailed squirrels. Oh. They're a family of tree gliding rodents. Scaly- so they live up in the trees. Why scaly tailed? Do you have a picture of them? Yes.
1: I disagree with the common name, but okay. Yeah, but
0: yeah, they're they're a, they're a glider. They're cute. Yeah, flying squirrels. Mm-hmm. So those are two very different animals. One's yes. gliding from tree to tree; the other is just munching on the forest so just floor.
1: Wildly different strategy
0: for catching either. Obviously, yeah. So the study took place between August 2016 and January 2020, and the researchers tracked the bonobos using GPS and also just old-fashioned legwork, just following them. Um, they observed 59 successful hunts. And 11 unsuccessful hunts over the four-year study. That's a that's a
1: good success rate. Big right? cats catch one in ten.
0: I know, right? Yeah. yeah. It's the big brains. Yeah. Yeah, and the tools. And the culture. <laughs> Allegedly. Okay. The researchers are very confident that they observed almost all of the hunting events that mm-hmm. took place over those four years because, A, bonobo groups are very clicky and cohesive. They pretty much go everywhere together, mm-hmm. so it's unlikely that there would be two different hunting events at the same time. The researchers
1: just can't sit with them.
0: They yeah. have to go for it. can't sit with us. Um, also, the animal lure and the diker hunting is very loud because both animals have really loud distress calls. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, imagine just being, like, a, a hunted by a group of super smart monkeys. Ooh. Or don't. Um, I'm not gonna. Yes. Also, <laughs> <laughs> successful hunts attracted individuals to hunting areas because they want the food, so mm. generally everyone was there. One out of every three days... Researchers observed the two groups engaging in long group hangs, also known as intergroup associations. Can we call
1: them group hangs?
0: I'm going to call them group hangs for the rest of this. <laughs> Please yes. do. Um, so 31% of observation days. Cool. Yeah. So just hanging out outside of their group. Mm-hmm. Um, out of guys being dudes. Yeah. And ladies. <laughs> and maybe ladies. I don't know if bonobos have gender. That'd that would be was
1: interesting.
0: Out of the 70 months, <laughs> nine occurred during the group hangs, and at times involved between-group meat-sharing.
1: So did the ones that normally hunt the deer join the squirrel hunt?
0: That's the interesting thing. No. Uh-huh. So they shared meat with each other, um, and almost half of the Kokoa Longo hunts occurred during group hangs, but none of the Yacala individuals participated in hunting Diker.
1: Because they're just not good at it, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah. Um, overall, the Yacala captured an eight- 31 an- animal lure. Wow. And they did try to go after dikers once. It was unsuccessful.
1: So, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you're right. They're yeah. bad at it. Right. Um, the Cocoa Longa actually ate 11 dikers in that time and were able to catch three gliding rodents. Wow. wow. Again, only three.
1: <laughs> Still better than the other group is at the other thing.
0: True. Additionally, the Cocoa Longo and the Ikalakala frequently engage sexually as We've talked about <laughs> right. they be smashing, just um, kissing right on
1: the mouth, and yes,
0: <laughs> yeah, making out and stuff, if you will. They were yeah. Um, also, because uh, bonobos are matrilineal, the offspring would always stay with the mother and would be raised by their group regardless of parentage. How so, they
1: leave you know when it's happening. What do they just sit there when the parents are?
0: Oh, maybe I don't know. No, I don't want know. I mean, I don't think it's like workers, yeah, where it's like real.
1: I regret the fact that I, I just went on that intrusive thought path. Yeah, why? I do We're all here
0: with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the offspring stay with the mother regardless of parentage. Mm. So the culture, or the behaviors, that are transmitted from parents to offspring um, would be the culture of the mother. Mm. And at night... Members of both groups always wake up and fall asleep in little bird-like nests that they build after traveling all day. Oh. Yeah, they build new little homes each night.
1: Like like up in the trees? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. Little nests. It's so cute. In other words, although these groups have very similar habits, they frequently chill, and they even hunt during the same times in the same places, they still hunt different prey using different strategies.
1: So would it be uh, called hunting and chill? (laughs) Something like that.
0: Yeah. yeah, actually, totally. Which sounds very early human. Oh, it does. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. Hunting and chill. That's foraging. Let's forage and... Mm. Uh... <laughs> anyway, uh, the next test was to find out whether variation in prey preference between the two bonobo groups is explained by A, environmental variables, such as area usage, time of day, and seasonality, and or B... Social factors, such as the number of potential hunters, individual association patterns, and group identity. In other words, we're getting into the nitty-gritty. They're finding any holes that another researcher might poke in the argument that this is culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they try trying to fill them. So what do you think we're going to find out?
1: I think we're going to find out that culture is alive and well in the bonobos.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so after diligently recording the number of males and females present during hunts, and tracking the pair bonding dynamics, or flirting, (laughs) of individuals, neither one of those factors had any influence on prey outcome. So, the pair bonding factor, not a factor. They also ruled out the possibility that there were one or more extremely specialized hunters in the groups who were responsible for all of these different hunting strategies. So, like, there's not just one super hunter.
1: So the next time a guy's hitting on you and you don't want him to, tell him to go catch you a deer.
0: I will. Yeah. Although, I'm from Michigan, and he would. Shit. Yeah. I'm um, just trying to help. <laughs> yeah. It's, mm, don't do that, friends. It'll not work. He'll just bring you a deer <laughs> or a fish. Um, okay. They also kept track of which individuals participated in hunting and how many were successful in catching prey. And they found that 100% of individuals who were present throughout the study period participated in the hunts. Wow. Yeah. So there's no specialists mm-hmm. here. Um, 72% of the akalakala and 40% of the cocoa group members also successfully captured prey. So, no one is a specialist. About half of them are doing real good. Everyone's pulling their weight. Nice. Group. group dynamics and hunting success did not vary seasonally or based on time of day or on specific terrain. 94% of the animal lure and 83% of the diker hunts occurred in those overlapping range areas, and that rules out any nitty-gritty environmental effects. So, to recap, in the words of our researchers, the location and timing of the bonobo's hunts did not determine which types of prey they hunted. Across their territory, and regardless of group size or dynamics between males and females, the groups continued to hunt for their preferred prey. This means ecology cannot explain bonobo feeding habits, and instead, the findings provide a very strong indication for cultural variation between the two groups. So. I would say this article is rock solid. Yeah, and we have very strong evidence of cultural development in bonobos. How
1: fucking yeah!
0: How fucking yeah! Um, they point out in the article there's still more work that they'd like to do. They want to determine how the hunting preferences are learned by the offspring. That so, science
1: we can forgive us money.
0: Yeah, they need <laughs> to prove that it's social learning. Right. Yeah. Um, But the evidence here does strongly suggest that bonobos should be added to the growing list of non-human animals with culture, alongside orcas, wolves, humpback whales, and so many others. Literally so many. Yeah. As Jared said at the beginning of the episode, there's like 17. Um, That I could
1: find in 20 seconds. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Up until recently, as we also talked about at the beginning, full circle, non-human species were thought to act on instinct alone, with a limited ability to learn. Humans were put on a pedestal and said to be the only organisms capable of developing culture, but this is simply not the case. Mm -mm -mm. In fact, a rapidly growing body of research, including this study, has shown that this cultural exclusivity, quote unquote, in humans is not at all accurate and may be shared by all animals, not just a select few, including rats. I love that. Yeah. Thousands of generations ago, different human groups developed food preferences based on a blend of what was available, what the group liked most. Those preferences and strategies were passed along as part of a socially learned set of behaviors, values, knowledge, and customs that make up culture. And guess what we're seeing now? Bonobos embarking on that same journey. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I would like to see in a future research path, maybe them uh, collect a couple two they're not chimpanzees. Uh,
0: They're chimps, though.
1: Yeah. Bonobos. Um, a, 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 a couple of pininis um, yes. <laughs>
0: from uh,
1: each population and sample their, their gut microbiome, and maybe Ooh. see how that's different.
0: That would be fascinating. I wonder if someone's done that. They might have. Maybe. Yeah. Cocoa Longo, hit us up. What's that gut <laughs> biome look like? I wish I could give you funding, but we are poor. <laughs> what I'm curious about is like, what would a fully realized bonobo culture look like? I mean, first of all, matriarchal. Yeah. Second of all, queer. <laughs> they are super queer. Uh, third of all, peaceful. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you a quote from Dr. Surbeck um, from an article that was published in the Harvard Gazette. There'll be a link in the show notes. It also has some great pictures of the study site and the bonobos and stuff, mm-hmm. which I'll show you. Um, but this is about to get um, a little graphic for our gentle listeners, but I just think it's insane. Okay. This is about bonobos. The females have the specific behavior where they rub their genitals against each other. It occurs rather frequently and seems to be in situations of high tension, when there is potential conflict you see it happening. Following those encounters, the team found increased levels of oxytocin in females. Similar increases were not seen following sexual encounters with males. <laughs> oxytocin is often associated with helping each other. We know that chimp males, when they go on patrols and attack other groups, show high oxytocin levels. So it's not just about sex. The male women was
1: banged too, don't they?
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't sample that. Oh. Uh, as far as I know. It appears to be about holding the group together. Dr. Surbeck cautions against drawing parallels between bonobo and human sexuality. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I just gotta. (laughs) As they appear to mostly use sex as a technique for forming bonds and avoiding conflict. But, like, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Also, like, have you ever heard of an animal that, like, more embodies the phrase make love, not war? Oh my god. Right? No. So a lot of people call them, like, the hippie apes. Which... Dr. Serbeck doesn't like because he think it detracts from the more interesting findings about them. But it's accurate. Yeah, true. They are. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious to learn more about these animals, the unique cultures of the different groups. I love everything I've ever read about them, except their IUCN status. Mm.
1: Which is probably critically endangered.
0: Yes, oh, critically endangered. Um, to quote the Bonobo Conservation Initiative, Bonobos are classified as endangered on the IUCN red list, i.e. facing a very high risk of extinction in the near future. For several reasons, it's been difficult to collect reliable population estimates for bonobos. They inhabit a remote, densely forested area, most of which is accessible only by boat or bush plane. Research has been disrupted since the early 1990s by a political unrest culminating in the Congo Wars from 1996 to 2003. Current estimates range from 10,000 to 20,000 individuals left in the wild. So small. Yeah. Um, But what is clear is that the population, small to begin with, is fragmented and decreasing. The Congo War, which ended in 2003, claimed more than 5 million lives. Extreme poverty, degraded infrastructure, and social impacts have led to increased pressures on the natural resources and the wildlife of the Congo. Yeah. So that is a poignant example of the wide-reaching and not discussed effects of war. Yeah, yeah.
1: I weep for any animal in the Ukraine right now. Like, exactly. Obviously, obviously, the people. The too, people, but... you know,
0: as humans, of course, the human suffering is what hits us the deepest, as it should, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for most people, but. Um, and it should not be overlooked. You know, the war in Ukraine is threatening millions of human beings, their culture, their future, but Ukraine is also home to more than a hundred species of mammals, including unique species of wolves, deer, elk, moose, bison, and wild sheep, and around 350 species of birds, some of which are also critically endangered. And all I'm of... still stuck on wild sheep. Yeah. 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 I mean, like... I don't know. They were wild at one point. Interesting. And they're still wild there. So are they feral now? Oh, no, no, no. no they're wild.
1: Interesting. Like
0: the wild, like, ancestor, but extant. Yeah. So, so many interesting things to learn about the animals there that if any researcher wants to right now, they can't. We need to stop allowing oligarchs who hold power and resources to wage these wars. And I'm talking about oligarchs in all countries, not just Russia. Us too. We exactly. Fucking, we fucking suck. Particularly <laughs> us. When the rich wage war, it's the poor who die. In the interest of preserving human and animal cultures alike, don't be still and silent. Be loud and disruptive. and Like I was this whole episode. Exactly. (laughs) Fight for what you care about. Cause good trouble. Um, Get out there. Because the more people are able to fight for the things that they care about or just work for them, it doesn't have to be fighting. Uh, the better place the world will be. And uh, I want to see all of the animal cultures and all of the human cultures. And I don't want any of them, more of them to be destroyed by bombs. So please. All right, stepping off my soapbox. Let's end this thing. Yeah. Do you a joke? Uh, no. Bye.